welcome to Woo With Us. I'm Denise. And I'm Nicole, and we are your hosts. Going through a spiritual awakening alone is not easy, so we share our own journeys and explore spiritual topics as we align and enlighten our souls. We want you to join us and begin to believe in miracles, magic, and connecting with the other side. So with your heart and mind open, come woo with us. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Woo With Us. We are in season two. We apologize. We took a nice long holiday hiatus, a couple months just to get our minds right, spend some time with family and kind of plan out um, this next season and what we wanted to kind of kick it off with and how we were going to approach the season. So we're so glad to be back. Uh, We're so glad to uh, be with you all. And we just wanted to take care of a little housekeeping. So Nicole and I have decided that um, we're going to post these episodes bi-weekly. So every other week we'll have an episode versus every um, week. And that just kind of made at least myself feel a little less pressure and stressed about doing the podcast. I wanted to keep it fun and joyful. Um, And so that just put a little less pressure on me to and Nicole to have to get this out every single week for you guys. Not that we didn't love it, but I think this, we're going to try this out this season and see how that goes. And possibly from time to time, you'll get a bonus episode here and there. Um, if we, if we have the time. So again, welcome back. This week's topic is shamanism. And before I kind of kick it over to Nicole, I just wanted to say that, you know, neither of us are shamans. I don't think Nicole is a shaman. She's shaking her head now. Um, well, neither of us are shamans. So we are literally coming from the approach of just research online and that kind of knowledge. We want to be as respectful as we can to the indigenous peoples, because it is a sensitive subject. We don't know necessarily what we're talking about. So if anything that we say isn't true or offends, please forgive us ahead of time. So with that, I will pass it over to you, Nicole, and let's talk about shamanism. Well, I um, have an interest in shamanism, so it's kind of been in the back of my mind. I've I've been listening to a couple podcasts. I actually follow some that are specific to um, shamanism, and they do talk about the fact that you know this practice is something that they take very seriously, and um, it's not something that you can necessarily say you just want to do. It's more like they people were raised and it's like they were picked when they were born kind of thing. Um, So when people learn that are outsiders, like we would be considered, um, it's, it's different. We, I don't know that we can ever really get to the status of actually calling ourselves a shaman because we're not technically a shaman. Um, We're just learning some of the techniques that um, shamans use. So I did just kind of want to throw that disclaimer out there first. Um, That's just something that I've heard on my podcast a couple of times. So I just wanted to mention it. Um, Shamanism itself is a an ancient healing modality. And it actually is widely practiced in a lot of human societies. Um, It's over a hundred thousand year old spiritual practice. Um, Shaman's role in their civilization has been important and it's mostly been in Aboriginal cultures uh, for thousands of years. I always think of a shaman as being like an elderly person in the tribe that you would go to. And um, they just, 
seem like they're wise and they have a lot of experience. Um, shamanic healing, I kind of focused more on the healing aspect. Um, it's a ceremony that's usually performed by a shaman and the shaman uh, receives information for healing purposes about the person or people that they're trying to help. Um, shamanic healing is the power of the mind, spirit, and body, and it's working together to balance those. So in doing some of this research, I found that they're not saying that Western medicine necessarily is wrong, but Western medicine is more about putting a Band-Aid on things, whereas with shamanic work, it's more about the whole entire person. So it takes into consideration the spirit of the person. We're a soul having a human experience. And I think sometimes in Western societies, we do forget that. We don't focus enough on it. And maybe that's why we have some elusive diseases that we don't really know what causes it and don't know how to heal it. Because I, I often wonder if this stuff actually comes from our soul. So I really enjoyed um, researching this topic. Um, shamanism kind of organically came to be throughout the world because of people's needs. So I, I really kind of see it as, you know, crossing cultural boundaries when, you know, maybe people live near each other and there was a shaman in a village and, you know, they heard that they could do certain things. And so they gave it a try being desperate and then realized that, you know, there, there was some work it actually worked, you know? So I think that allowed it to kind of cross over cultures. Um, it can transform your life when you have a sh shamanic healing session because you're basically tapping into your spiritual resources and you're strengthening your connection with these resources. Um, and then usually uh, shamanic counseling would start at the beginning of a healing and it's going to help you kind of identify what you need help with um, and kind of assist you in formulating your intentions for what you want to do going forward. Um, it's important that to understand that humans have to do the work, that a shamanic healing session isn't just about that one time thing. It's usually about work that you have to, to go through. Um, it could be about changing diets. Um, it could, it, it's about a lot of things. It's not just one healing session and you're healed. Um, it's not a standalone treatment. It's usually combined with uh, plant medicine, dietary changes, and some physical healing modalities. Um, shaman and people of this faith believe that illnesses manifest physically. Um, from spiritual origins. So if you have an issue stemming back from a past life or even something that happened to you when you were younger, um, sometimes when it goes untreated, that's what actually causes us to develop certain illnesses. Um, so there are three different worlds that they believe in. Uh, the first one is the middle world, and that's uh, the spiritual aspect of the physical world. And then the second is the lower world. And that's a place that is natural and filled with plants and animals. And the third is the upper world, which is more um, ethereal and filled with uh, humans and human-like beings and mythical beings. So I just wanna explain that uh, briefly. Um, 
Denise may have more information on that, but just the fact that they believe in these three different realms. And so when they're performing some of these healing ceremonies, they're transcending from that second um, or the world that we live in into some of these other realms. Um, so shamanic healing sessions usually bring out a significant shift that's rooted somewhere in your energies. Um, and then it ripples and it causes, um, it changes in your life as a whole. Um, there's a release of toxins that are stored in your physical body and your mind and your emotional and spiritual body. Um, and so you just kind of have to uh, follow, you know, see how you feel over the next couple of days and weeks and months after a healing session. Um, shamanic healing sessions can help with diseases and illnesses and imbalances in your body. Um, it causes positive changes to happen in invisible realms as well as our physical realm. Um, and they address, shamanic healing usually addresses the three causes of mental and emotional and physical illness, which is disharmony, fear, and soul, soul loss. So in disharmony, it's power loss. So um, it occurs when you feel like maybe you've lost the meaning for why you're here. Um, maybe something really catastrophic has happened. Um, maybe you've even been in a relationship that was unhealthy and you lost your power in that relationship. This causes disharmony. Um, and that makes you vulnerable to illnesses. Uh, fear is another thing, and it's most common. Um, it creates anxiety and depression and stress, and it triggers uh, stress-inducing hormones. So it's like the fight or flight situation. And over time, you can live in a prolonged state of fear, and that can just break down your immune system and your energy as a whole. And then soul loss um, is the most extreme and it's kind of like premature death. Um, usually it happens after experiencing something really traumatic, um, you know, like a war or a divorce or really intense bullying. And so parts of your soul leave and don't return. And we're actually gonna talk a lot about soul retrieval in an upcoming episode. So I won't go into tons of detail here, but, um, you know, I just wanna let you know that that's a part of illnesses that a shamanic healing session would help you work through. Um, during a session, because sh shamanism is in so many different cultures, there's different ways that they determine how to heal. So some of them will sing or pray, chant or dance to bring healing energy into their body. Um, a lot of them use um, sacred objects like drums and rattles. Um, a shaman will usually get into an altered state of consciousness. And usually if it's a healing session that they're having with a client, they may bring that client along in the healing session. And they're kind of explaining the journey as they go to the client. Um, um, so when they go into this journey, they're trying to diagnose what's going on with the person. Um, what, what is the cause of these things that they're, these illnesses that they're experiencing? Um, <clears throat> so um, 
sometimes uh, plants can be used too. And I'll have a little section about some of the different plants that they use, but a lot of them are the psychedelic plants. And I that helps someone, a shaman or the person that is having the healing session kind of get into this altered state. Um, so shaman believe that the mind can have power to heal the body. And um, so they really want people to learn how to heal themselves. Obviously there are some things that people can't do or it would be better to go through a shaman. So that's why it is important to find a shaman that's actually a shaman. Um, you start with an open, open conversation with the shaman, you discuss what's going on with you. And that alone can have um, positive effects on a person. Sometimes people just need to talk about things, which is why talk therapy is a good thing. Um, it also allows you to kind of think about different things and um, see it in a different way. And then it will start with energy work. And that's the beginning of the actual ceremony. Um, so usually you'll lie on your back and the shaman assesses your energy centers, usually the seven chakras, um, and help release like the stagnant energy. Um, so they may use Reiki or sound healing to clear out those imbalances in your body and remove those blockages. And then the shamanic journey begins. Um, the shaman will get into an altered state and explain what they're experiencing, um, it will uh, look into non-ordinary re reality. They um, connect with spirit helpers, usually their own, but they might connect with yours as well uh, through these spiritual realms. Um, it can be hands-on or it can be hands-off energy work, just like Reiki can. Um, usually it lasts for about an hour. Um, it will give you expanded per perception about, you know, give you a higher awareness and a deeper understanding of some of your past experiences and traumas. And then the return, when the shaman returns from the journey, um, they hold space for an after journey discussion where they share the experience with you and they give you wisdom and advice from what they've seen. Um, when I did my research, I did come upon uh, an article that really kind of emphasized the fact that shamanism and psychedelic plants aren't a necessary connection. Um, there's lots of shaman that do their healing work without the use of psychedelic plants. I do think that there's still a lot of maybe misunderstanding, but I also think misuse of this. And so for that reason, I think a lot of people are kind of anti- plant medicine when it comes to psychedelics, but I will just briefly talk about some of them. Um, the indigenous tribes usually believe or believe that they usually hold some kind of therapeutic value, which is why they um, engage in things like this. And if you think about it, we have aspirin and it comes from the bark of a willow plant and we have opioids and morphine. And when they're used like directed, um, they can be helpful in reducing pain and they come from poppy flowers. So we have a lot of things that we use now anyway that come from natural things. So this is what they're doing. Um, ayahuasca is something that a lot of people hear about and usually relate that to shamanism. Um, it is a plant that's used by indigenous people, usually in Peru and parts of Amazon. 
Um, but it's actually made out of two different plants, which I don't think I ever really knew. Um, one is a DMT, which is highly hallucinogenic, and the other is an MAOI inhibitor, and that allows the DMT to pass through your digest digestive tract. So both need to be in place in order to um, work in your body. Um, ayahuasca actually has the benefits of facilitating the creation of new neural synapses, which help heal trauma and addiction. Um, at a structural level in the brain, which I thought was kind of fascinating. Um, ayahuasca trips can last for hours and can include hallucinations and purging. Um, you may experience vomiting and diarrhea. Um, and if it's given to you in high quantities or without someone that's experienced, it can actually cause death. So it's not something just to decide one day you want to try. Um, I definitely wouldn't. I would only try it with someone who is experienced in performing this kind of work. Um, there's also psychedelic mushrooms that are thought to improve neuroplasticity and neurogenesis and promote deep changes in perception and cognition. Um, and they also can help with the nervous system and heal the brain, which heals the mind. Um, Yopo is a potent plant medicine from Amazon also. Um, it's administered through inhalation and um, it absorbs and produces like an immediate soothing spiritual connection with your mind and soul. Uh, Combo is not a plant, it's actually from a giant monkey tree frog and it's known to be powerful and purging. Um, it boosts your immune system, it reduces pain, helps with addiction, stimulates your digestive system and your circulatory tract uh, system and gets rid of toxins. So I'm not saying that, you know, people should think that psychedelic drugs are okay or whatever. I'm not trying to push that. I'm just saying that we do have medicines that we use now that come from natural things. And I do think there are a lot of things in nature that we don't realize can actually have really positive effects on us and our body. I think we're learning about stuff all the time. Um, so when you um, go through what's called journeying, um, it's basically uh, traveling to you know your other worldly realms. Um, and so the shaman usually does this again in a trance state. Um, and they access, you know, the spirit guides and the power animals. And so I just did a little bit about spirit guides and power animals. I'm sure you guys have heard about spirit guides before. They're considered helping spirits. Um, I guess the difference between how they view helping spirits and how we view spirit guides is that helping spirits don't always act as guides. Sometimes they act as teachers. Um, gods and goddesses of the community can be considered spirit guides. They tend to come forth in a humanoid form. Um, a lot of times this is so people who maybe haven't experienced this before can relate to what's coming through. Um, power animals, I thought this was really cool. Um, they are another kind of helping spirit that can help guide and protect you. Um, and they're known as power animals, animal totems, and spirit animals. And it refers to an energy that's in that specific animal. Um, they're thought to be in the background of a person's life, and they're creating peace and harmony and understanding. 
power animals make themselves known during different stages of a person's life. It's oftentimes when they're having trouble or difficulty in life. Um, you can have many spirit animals or power animals um, and they can change. So you may start with some and, and transition into others. It's all about what you're experiencing in life and what you need help with. Um, lifelong power animals are usually wild. They're not domestic. So thinking of a normal domestic house cat or a dog is probably not going to be your power animal. It's going to be like a cheetah or um, a wolf or a coyote. Um, but all how, animals are. How does one find out what their power animal is? Well, this usually happens through a shamanic journey. However, I do want to say that I've had some experience where I've had dreams of different creatures in my dreams that aren't necessarily common. Um, I've had a lot of dreams of um, crocodiles, crazily enough, I've had dreams of wolves and snakes. And I've always been really attracted to panthers. You know, I love all cats, but it's crazy that you can be kind of attracted to certain ones. So I did. Oh, and bats. Bats have been a theme in my life for a long time, too. So I just looked up what some of these mean, um, just so that if any of these ring true to you, you can kind of get what what they're supposed to mean. Um, bats is the power of rebirth viewing past lives, new ideas, understanding grief, letting go of old parts that are no longer needed and facing the darkness. I have to say that when I've had experience with bats before, I was very scared of them. And then I kind of had this fascination for them. They just seemed to come in my house, literally, or when I was a kid in a playhouse. And so, I don't know, I had this weird love-hate relationship for bats. Um, snakes, are all about staying grounded through transformation. Um, it oh, helps you achieve your goals, um, gives you longevity uh, needed to heal or transform your life. Um, it usually has to do with light workers, growing pains and the cycle of death and rebirth. Um, wolves are teachers and pathfinders and uh, they have the deepest levels of self inner knowing and intuition. Um, they're a symbol of the night and a lonely path. Um, it's the understanding that when you want to know more about yourself, you have to be alone in order to understand yourself. Um, so you have to be kind of away from everyone else's judgments and beliefs and views. So it's a, a lonely path for yourself, trying to learn more about yourself. Um, Panthers are symbols of valor and power and protection. It's also um, connected with feminine energy, protective mother. Um, it's the power of the night and the dark moon. Um, it's not attaching to others um, unnecessarily, being brave, powerful, and smart. Um, having a panther as your power animal can help you to be uh, superior in like leadership and helpful in difficult situations. Um, crocodiles represent courage, patience, and honor in your work. Um, it shows power and aggression in our daily activities. You need to be alert and observant in life. Um, need it for being fit. It's a hidden strength and it's a hidden danger and your hidden danger. 
Um, and so again, if you want to learn more about power animals, sometimes just thinking about your life and animals that are wild that seem to come up in your life often is one good way to kind of understand your power animals, but going through um, a journey, a shamanic journey is another way to learn about your power animals. So getting in um, a shamanic healing session, they'll usually give you some idea of your power animals. And I just find that fascinating. So I just thought that was something cool to share. Um, there's a couple different things that a shaman can do for ceremonies. Um, they can perform a shamanic extraction ceremony, and that's where they remove blockages from the energy system of the client. Um, they can do a soul retrieval ceremony. And so that's when, um, we'll talk about this later, but it's when pieces of your soul kind of go away from you and you're trying to get those pieces of your soul back. Um, curse removal. So someone else wishing us harm with negative words or behaviors, um, imprint removal and illumination. Um, it, uh, will identify an imprint that no longer serves the client. I think of this as like twilight and how she was imprinted um, or he was imprinted. I don't remember which way it went, but it basically, it's like something that means something to you. It kind of is something that doesn't happen. I feel like it's at a soul level. It's not something that you necessarily can control. Um, divination, uh, shamanic shamans will perform divination. And so that's where they can ask people from the spirit world um, specific questions. They can do past life regressions. They can do ancestral healing. Um, and all of this can be done at a distance. So it's not like you have to travel to um, where a shaman would be. You can get benefit from these at a distance. Um, and then I just wanted to um, talk about uh, real quick, if a shamanic healing is right for you. You have a strong desire to create more meaningful relationships with yourself or others with nature and the spirit world. If you're ready to move forward beyond your old thoughts and patterns and limiting beliefs, you're seeking um, genuine self-inquiry and want to move to your greater self. Um, you want to create lasting change, but you feel blocked. You're committed to fully surrendering to an experience and receiving guidance. You're willing to put forth the effort needed to integrate this new wisdom and healing. And if you're open to shamanic healing, these are all reasons why you should try it. Um, so I kind of feel like this leads right into uh, what Denise is going to talk about. And she's actually going to be talking about um, becoming a shaman or the shamanic journey. So I'm going to pass it over to Denise. Yeah, thanks. That was a lot of great information. A lot of stuff that I had never heard before. That I did not know or find in my research. Um, what I want to say, I want to just go back to psychedelics for a minute. There is a show on Netflix called how to change your mind. I had to look it up while you were talking because I wanted to make sure I could tell you what to watch. It was fascinating for me in many ways, a lot of personal reasons. I was not the best child. Let's just say that I did some things I shouldn't have done, but watching this made me realize that it might've actually helped to heal me in ways that I wasn't really aware of. Cause I, part of me 
truly believe, and I'm not saying go out and do this on your own, people do it under, <laughs> under the guidance of a, of a person. Um, but I, I think a part of me was able to get over some of the things because of it. And I didn't even realize it until I watched this documentary and I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. So go watch it. It's, it's a fascinating, um, documentary. Okay. So earlier, Nicole mentioned that, you know, becoming a shaman is more of a calling. It's more of um, an ancestral thing for the indigenous peoples. It's a very personal thing for them. It's not like you, these people just wake up one day necessarily and say, Oh, I want to be a shaman. Um, for them, it's, it's very, specifically a calling, um, whether it's through dreams or signs they have, or like inherited powers down through their ancestry line. However, we are in 2023 and I feel like they're, they're calling it now neo-shamanism. So it's basically other cultures, other people are taking bits and pieces of shamanism and they're using it in more of the, um, you know, modern, way and outside of the indigenous culture. So I found kind of some signs because I do know that there's a lot of people out there who are practicing shamans, call themselves shamans who are not um, any kind of an indigenous um, person. So it, it is out there for you. It's something about this is calling you. Um, it's not going to be necessarily um, exactly the same, but I do think that there's some signs that you might experience if you're being called to this path, okay? And so the first one is you feel a very strong connection to nature. You understand that everything is connected, that everything on earth is connected through spirit, through the natural different realms like Nicole was talking about, and nothing embodies this understanding better than nature. It nurtures us, we nurture it. It's a mutually dependent relationship. Number two is you enjoy solitude and find it hard to fit in with others. So shamans in most, most cultures were solitary individuals. They kind of live on the outskirts of the village and they're often considered the different or eccentric ones from the group. However, they are respected because of the wisdom that they have, because of their unique gifts and their sensitivities. So they could never fit into a typical society because they act as that bridge between this world and the other, you know, dimensions that are unseen. Number three, you've had a near-death experience or an out-of-body experience or some kind of mystical experience. So supposedly to be a shaman, you must experience a complete death and rebirth. And often this presents itself as a temporary illness or some kind of shocking crisis that kind of ignites that, that, you know, individual experience of rebirth and through overcoming and healing from these terrifying ordeals or these trauma traumas that the shaman to be will surrender everything they know is true and just accept whatever wisdom they're meant to learn. Number four, you felt a subtle healing energy in your hands. So anybody who's practiced Reiki before, or who's been into Reiki, understands what I'm saying, but it's like this buzzing in your hands that you can get. Supposedly, a lot of shamans are born with this. Um, they master the energy. They can see the energy. They can feel the energy and they have the ability to control and manipulate the energy in their bodies and bodies of others. 
And so when you carry that healing energy, it's often manifested as having good circulation of blood in your hands. So your hands will always feel warm to the touch, sometimes very, very hot. And you might also feel that energy emanating from them. And so I know for me, it's this, I'm not practicing Reiki as much anymore, but when I was doing it, I would walk by somebody and my hands would all of a sudden light up and feel hot. It's like, almost like I could sense that they needed some kind of healing, not that I would give it to them because that's not okay, but that's how it would feel for me. And I wonder if people like who are meant to be shamans are feeling this all the time. So the fifth reason you have the ability to read others. So some shamans are born with the gift of vision or the capacity to look at other people and see the illness that they may be carrying or a spiritual obstacle they must overcome. And people with the shamanic calling frequently report psychic abilities such as clairvoyance, clairaudience, and other paranormal experiences. Number six is that you have ancestors who may have been healers or medical herbalists. So most cultures believe that the gift of being a shaman is inherited and can only be passed down through generations. But in today's world, it's almost impossible to know whether any of our ancestors were healers or our recent ancestors, much like ourselves, never claimed it because it was not acceptable in our culture. And they cultivated this shamanic gift as part of their ancestry line. Number seven, you have vivid dreams or prophetic dreams. So some shamans are born with a natural ability to travel between realms, to bring back information, and can even see visions of future events in their dreams. I know a lot of people that have this. So, and I know a lot of people that have some of some of these other signs. So take it with a grain of salt. Doesn't necessarily mean that you're meant to be a shaman. Um, but if you have a lot of these, you might want to check out the shamanic path. So number eight, you're visited by spirit animals. Animals or hybrid animals play a big role in the shaman's journey, like Nicole said. Spirit animals serve as guides that share vital information and serve as reminders whenever we require their help. Number nine, you see things that others can't see. The ability to access other realms and hidden dimensions can start at a very early age. So to be an effective shaman, you must have the fluidity in your mind to be open and receptive to this new information and not, not to be fearful of it. It's this unique trait that has resulted in many shamans being labeled and prescribed as mentally ill in the modern day and age, which is really crappy. Number 10, you have physical abnormalities that set you apart. So in the past, Many physical characteristics, such as being born with extra fingers, toes, or with a thin membrane covering your head at birth, were considered spiritual signs or omens that a person has a special relationship with the spirit world. Interesting. And lastly, you feel a calling to help, heal, or ease the suffering of others. Ultimately, shamanism can be seen as a practice of balancing or self-correcting our relationship with others and the world around us. And so whenever a shaman sees suffering, they feel a strong desire to heal it so that they can reestablish that harmony within nature, within this web of life. So let's say you decide you have all 11 of those and you're going to be like, all right, I'm going in, I'm all in, I'm going to take the path of a shaman. What does that mean? Apparently there are seven stages of initiation and it's very important to note that once you make that decision and you start this process, there's no turning back. So make sure you're ready to go. So the first, pat, the first initiation stage is creating vibrant health. 
It involves grounding. So you'll need to learn how to be present in your body, set your intentions and make a commitment to honor the process ahead, no matter how difficult it gets. Grounding is essential to learn so that you can tune into yourself and your mission. The second stage is to implement a daily self-care plan. Very conscious work. You have to actively reflect on your thoughts. You have to align them to positive thoughts, feelings, and actions. You'll need to learn how to remain playful and curious about your external reality. And you can do this by honoring the good mother and seeing her beauty in everything. So we all know how freaking hard that would be. Changing your thoughts all the time to positive thoughts. And oh my God, catching yourself would be the toughest thing. Okay. The third thing would be to call in your soul family. On your journey, you may notice a shift in your relationships where you let go of others who speak or act negatively. They're not going to understand the changes you're making. And obviously this is better for you because you want to keep your frequencies and your energy and your vibration in tune with that new positive actions and feelings. And when you bring that external negative energy into you, you're going to create that ripple effect. And so you want to these people to leave, bless them, thank them for whatever they've given you in your relationship previously and let them be on their way. <laughs> Number four is to step into your power. So in the first and second stage, you have to do all of that introspective work. You're going to like calibrate your vibration. You're going to raise your vibration. You're going to keep yourself grounded. And then in that third stage, that's where you're, you're kind of understanding the energy and the vibration of everyone around you and how to keep that balanced. And so when you've balanced both of those, your internal and your external, then you're stepping into your power. And this apparently is very important because now you're able to say no to things without letting it affect you. You're no longer people pleasing. You're choosing yourself. You're preserving your energy. You're setting boundaries. Anyways, you're, you're learning to be the best version of yourself for others. Um, when you're standing in your power, you can radiate confidence, self-assurance, and unconditional love. Um, the fifth step is to manifest your soul mission. So once you find that power, you can manifest all of your desires into reality. So keep your heart open, you know, manifest inner wealth, outer wealth, material abundance, authentic living, your heart's truth, and just be a beacon of light so that you bring the right people and circumstances into your life. And the sixth step is to allow your creative soul to run free. So you want to reconnect with all of your spiritual practices and open up and just be in flow. Allow the miracles to happen to you, to come to you. Don't have any resistance. You don't judge it. There's no attachment to the outcome. You just allow your soul to be expressive and creative without any fear, or any control. And you actually become the master of your destiny. And then finally, it's like you go through this whole internal and external process. You're cleaning everything out. You get your energy raised, your vibration raised. You're a totally different person. And now you can share your gifts. So now this is the final stage. You ha have unconditional love for yourself, for everybody else, radical self-love and compassion for others. You have a healthy balance with your ego. You can reflect on all of your thoughts and actions, and you can see that mirror of yourself in others when you're talking to them. So that takes away that judgment and you don't care about the opinions. You don't care about the behaviors because you know that that mirror is what's happening. Their behavior is your behavior and vice versa. So now you can give your gift and your service to humanity. So you can just be that vibrational um, healing person around everyone else that you come in contact with. And you know, that becomes a ripple effect. And of course, eventually 
you can probably begin practicing some kind of healing, maybe not necessarily the indigenous shamanic healing work, but Reiki, sound healing, things of that nature where you're doing it in a shamanic nature type way. I wouldn't say that you necessarily need to go into the psychedelics, but if that's float your boat, go for it. So those were just some of the things that I wanted to talk about um, regarding the shamanic path. Um, and just to kind of tie it all together, I guess, unless you have anything else, is just to highlight the main beliefs of shamanism. So, you know, I think there's there's tons of different variations of shamanism. Obviously, it's a huge world we live in, but there are common beliefs that are shared by all shamans. So I think it's important to kind of recognize those. And the first is that spirits exist. They exist, that we are spirits or spirits around us, and they play very important roles in our individual lives and as a society. They believe that the shaman can communicate with the spirit world. They believe spirits can be benevolent or malevolent, good or bad. And they believe that the shaman can treat any sickness that may be caused by the bad spirits. The shamans can go into trances. They can see um, visions and they can go on vision quests. Their spirit can leave the body, the shaman spirit can leave the body to enter any supernatural world to search for those answers. They believe that the shaman invokes animal images, spirit guides, omens, and message bearers. And lastly, they believe that shamans can perform other varied forms of divination, throw bones, runes, scry, and sometimes foretell future events. So shamanism is a big topic, a cool topic, a very interesting one. I'm always fascinated by um, indigenous people and tribes. It just to me, feels more aligned with what I believe, I think, you know, just believing in nature and oneness and, and that the earth is God, love, energy, like I, that always felt more right to me. So um, more power to shamanism. That's all I have. I did just want to say a couple of things that I was thinking about while you were talking. Um, one, I want to go back to the birthright of a shamanist. Shamanist. I'm not saying that you can't be a shaman or practice it if you weren't born. One of the things that came to me was actually if we all believe in past lives, then we could have been in an Aboriginal culture before, maybe many times, and maybe we've decided to transition into a different life and maybe bridge the gaps in the cultures. So I, I think sometimes we're stuck in this belief system that we grew up in and we think that this is the way it has to be. And I think that right now, this time on earth is kind of here to like expand our minds and kind of teach us that things that we think we know, maybe we have no idea that anything's possible. I also think that, you know, we talk about some topics and sometimes even in my research, I'm kind of like, what? Um, sometimes it's a little too woo-woo for me. But one thing that I've been hearing over and over again in the podcast that I've been listening to is that I really believe that we're in this world where like everything is true. 
I, I, it sounds weird, but I believe that everything is true and we're searching for what is true to us. So when someone says something and you can believe in parts of it, but you don't believe in all of it, it doesn't mean you have to change what you think. You take those parts and you go on with your life and you learn other things. And then you're just kind of like bringing these parts all together to be like your truth. And I just think that you know, we talk about some things and you may not believe in all these things, but, you know, you're listening. And I think that, you know, maybe we can open up some things for you and, you know, what you don't believe in, what doesn't make sense to you, disregard, you know, that's not your truth and that's okay. But um, I don't know. That was just that that came to me and then I just wanted to pass on to you guys before we left. Um, so I don't know. That's all I got to say. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Because while you were talking earlier, I had literally the same thought about how, what if we were indigenous in past lives? <laughs> could that, could that tie us in or, you know, how do you even figure that part out? You know, you have your blood ancestry, but then you also have your past lives and how does that all play into all of this stuff? And, and why not, if we are all one and we believe we are all one and connected, why would we not all want to be a part of this and believe all of this. I, you know, I get, I get the respect thing and, and, and that's okay, but to not, but you should be able to practice things that feel right to you, that feel true to you. So. Agreed. 100%. All right. Well, that is shamanism wrapped up in a nutshell and we will talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss another. If you feel called to do so, please give us a five-star rating. This helps our podcast reach a broader community and enlighten more souls. 